So more than um, any other series that I have ever done, um, this one has made me the most nervous and I've been the most, um, I don't know, anxious about this one because for most of our series, and for those of you who um, <clears throat> have been longtime attenders, uh, we, we take an idea and we talk about it for several weeks, um, but usually within each week, that message on its own, if you just dropped in and that's the only one you heard, um, would be um, beneficial on its own and it fits into a larger um, piece of the puzzle. Um, this series has been very different. Um, this one, if you just drop in on a single week and you haven't listened to the rest of it or don't wait to see where we're ending up in the series, um, you may wonder if I'm saved. And... Um, <laughs> I assure you, I assure you that I am. Um, just hang with me. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if this is your first um, message in this series that you're seeing, um, hang on, it's going to be a little different. And um, don't, don't write me off as a heretic just yet. Um, let, me, let me finish the series, then you can write me off um, as a heretic and start your <clears throat> new church search. Um, so we began this discussion a few weeks ago, around a tension that more and more people within the United States are feeling. Um, right now, probably about 25% uh, of the U.S. population has stepped into this category called the nuns. Um, and that is not Catholic nuns that wear habits, is nuns as in N-O-N-E, nun. We have none when it comes to religion. We have stepped away from it. We're not involved with it. Um, we're not religiously affiliated. And you may be in that category. You may know somebody in that category. Uh, you may be in a spot in your faith to where you're thinking about joining that category. Um, and, and, and it's a tough place to be, but it's understandable why people in our country are beginning to distance themselves and disassociate with religion. Um, and, and, and in this country, Christianity in particular, because that is the predominant um, religion. And there are, you know, as we've said some things in this series that we've had to be very um, intellectually honest with ourselves and not try and convince ourselves of things that aren't true. And so we, we've talked about some, there's some very unsettling things um, about God. There are unsettling things about religion about theism. There's unsettling things about the Bible. And even Christianity itself has some pretty unsettling things in it. So, of course, um, uh, of course, with unanswered questions, of course, when you're trying to figure things out and you ask fact-based questions and you're getting faith-based responses that just don't seem to really line up, of course, when you're trying to figure out what your adult faith looks like, and all you're getting is kind of the childhood faith answers, of course, we would consider stepping away from religion. But at the same time, for many, many people in the country, going ahead and taking that full step and checking, checking, the, uh, checking the atheist box, there's something unsettling about that too for people. The idea of, of living in a, a creatorless universe the idea of just this, this natural force that, that through natural selection somehow has put us to where we are today, um, it can be unsettling as well. And so a lot of people just are not ready to step fully into that. And so they're left with this choice, kind of this, this religious doubt on one side 
And then on the other side, there's kind of this facing a future that without the context of religion, what's really the, the point of life beyond what I can kind of mine out of my daily activities and what is it? And it leaves most people feeling just kind of a bit in despair. And so they find themselves kind of in the middle. And so we've been talking about it for the last few weeks because more and more people are finding themselves where they would say, I'm not, really, uh, I'm not really a religious person. I grew up in church. I have an idea what it's all about, but I've got too many questions or it's just too unscientific. I don't have faith in faith. I've kind of lost that. But at the same time, I hope that there's something out there. Because for many of the people in that nun's category, while atheism, full-on atheism might not be appealing, Christianity certainly has lost its appeal. And so we started off this series the, the, the first week we started off with the idea of if you're going to step away from Christianity, away from religion, you're going to turn towards something. You can't turn away from one thing without by default turning towards another. And so we looked at, at kind of what it is. We looked at a bunch of the writers of kind of the new atheist movement and just looked at the ideas of what is that? If you're going to turn away, here's what you're turning towards. Then last week, we looked at a whole bunch of different gods that we all don't believe in anymore. And if you weren't here last week, I would suggest that you go and listen to last week's message because you may find your God on the list of gods that don't exist. And it's a good thing people have lost belief in that God. Now this, this week, I wanna look at um, another idea that as you listen and as you hear stories of people deconverting from Christianity, stepping away from religion, um, stepping away from your faith, there, there's this thread that kind of runs through a whole lot of them. And so I want to look at um, what we're going to call the Bible told me so Jesus. The Bible told me so Jesus, which may be a part of your story within all of the doubt or maybe the stepping away that you may be going through. Now, this, as we talk about this today, this may, it may not, but it may give people permission to kind of step back towards faith. And not a childhood version of faith or not the, the current American version of faith, but Christianity as it was meant to be believed and understood. So to start out this discussion for today, I want to start with one of the very first pieces of theology that all of us learned. And I'm going to start out this piece of theology and I want you guys to go ahead and finish this theology for me. Jesus loves me. This I know. And there, all of our problems began. <laughs> right? The implication, the implication, and, and don't walk out on me. Let me, get to the, let me get to the end here. The implication of that, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The implication is that the Bible is the reason that we believe. That's the implication in that theology. In other words, I can believe that Jesus loves me because it's in the Bible. Now, I grew up in a church, and many of you may have grown up in a similar church. I grew up in a church where the byline, kind of the tagline um, that people would just throw out on stage whenever they didn't have anything else to say um, or they were struggling, they would want a response from the crowd, and the crowd would kind of chant along with it when they realized this is what they were saying. But the tagline was, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Some, some people just shorten it. The Bible says it, that settles it. Has anybody heard that tagline? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and so this was kind of this idea that like, whenever you got into these moments of questioning and doubt and, well, how do you explain this? There, there was a whole lot of, well, the Bible says it, so that settles it. That settles it. So, so, we went to, so we went to college after growing up in these kind of churches. We went to college armed with the idea of the Bible says it, that settles it. And then we get to college and we start having classes and listening to professors and talking with other students. And maybe we don't go to college. Maybe we just went out into the workplace and people start talking about things and questions and conversations start happening. And you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't settle it. Just because the Bible says it doesn't really settle anything. And then when we didn't, we discovered that, oh, wow, it's not just settled because the Bible says so. And we come home, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, oh my goodness. What about this and this and this? I've never thought of this before. What, what do you think? What do you think? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? And the response was, oh, well, we don't ask those questions. The Bible says it. That settles it. You got to have faith. You got to believe. Don't be a doubter. And the problem with that is this, is that if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, then as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. Or maybe even more specifically, as your understanding and ability to defend the Bible goes, so goes your faith. And, and if, 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 if the Bible, if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, then that kind of puts us in this weird position. It puts us in this position of, uh, if the Bible's the foundation, well, then Christianity can't survive if the Bible goes away. That's kind of the other side of that coin. That Christianity can't survive if somehow every single part of the Bible isn't absolutely true. Because if that's the position that you find yourself in, then you find yourself faced with this kind of like all or nothing options. It's either got to all be true or the whole thing's faith. And if anything in it, if anything in it is found to be um, unscientifically true or doesn't, doesn't go with um, history is, is historically inaccurate, if that is the basis of your faith, then the whole thing then starts to come tumbling down. Because uh-oh, Seems like my faith is kind of this house of cards that all they had to do was pull out one or two from the bottom. And now the whole thing starts to tumble. And so when we find contradictions in the Bible or when we find where it says, you know, when somebody comes across and we find and somebody says, well, there's no way the earth's only 6,000 years old. More like four and a half billion. And you start looking at these evidence and stuff. You look down and it starts to come and you go, well, wait, we didn't, we didn't discuss this. How did I? And we're left with this tension of Bible versus history and Bible versus science and Bible versus what every, uh, what other scholars seem to think and Bible versus Bible versus Bible versus. And if we're honest with ourselves, if the, if the whole Bible isn't true, then is the Bible true? How do you balance that? How do you come across those things when you find them? And American Christianity in particular has seemed to build itself on this idea, on this idea um, of, the, of this infallible Old Testament and this non-contradicting New Testament. And, and if you start asking those questions, you know, you're just being a doubter. You're letting the enemy take over your mind. And, you know, the Bible says it. That settles it. And then when we grow up and we become aware that maybe it isn't all 
quite as true or true in the way that we thought it was true, then what do we do with that? Our faith begins to fall apart. And the thing is, is that all of this whole dynamic, this whole thing, it puts the Bible in a place where if we can't defend everything in it, then everything goes away. And that's not the Bible's fault. That's the place we put the Bible in. But the good news is, is that that's very unfortunate to put it in that position. The great news is, is that's absolutely unnecessary to put it in that position because Christianity is far more endurable than all of that. So here's my plea for today as we jump into some details here. My plea for today is if you have or are thinking about walking away from faith, walking away from Christianity because of something that you've read in the Bible or somebody, some, something somebody told you about the Bible, listen, Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. It doesn't. Anymore, it doesn't exist because of the Bible anymore than you exist because of your birth certificate, right? Your birth certificate documents something that happened. You were first, then the birth certificate. And Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. It's the other way around. The Bible exists because of Christianity. And the New Testament documents, documents something that happened. And and here's why I say that it's the other way around. But to kind of get this idea really fully, it, it requires just a little bit of a history lesson. Around 30 AD, Jesus is crucified. About three days later, he's resurrected from the tomb. About two months after that, the church was launched. And the church was launched by a whole bunch of Jesus followers who had seen a resurrected Jesus going out into the streets of Jerusalem and basically as often and as loud as they could saying, you killed him, God raised him, we've seen him, now say you're sorry. And let's move past this. And because of that, thousands and thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem the exact place where the crucifixion of Jesus took place, not 50 years earlier, but weeks earlier, decided that they wanted to follow Jesus as well. And they embraced a risen savior. And when that happened, the church was born. Now, in 70 AD, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. All right. Now, four years before the temple was destroyed, here's how it got to being destroyed. Um, Vespasian came down through Galilee and brought an army with him. And he just rolled up town after town after town on his way to Jerusalem. And he basically was on his way. Um, There had been um, a Jewish uprising or rebellion against Rome. And he was on his way down there to crush it. And so once once he got to Jerusalem, he went back to Rome and left his son Titus there to finish the job. So basically, Titus, Titus had funneled all of the people who were part of the rebellions, part of the insurrections, into the city of Jerusalem. And then what he did was he dug a ditch all the way around the city of Jerusalem. And then he built kind of an, uh, an earth wall all the way around it. And outside of the city walls, where he was, he would crucify hundreds of people a day. 
By the time it was over, thousands upon thousands of Jewish people had been crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem as a threat. Eventually, the walls of the city were breached. And, and we know that it was on August 6th, 70. <laughs> it's weird not putting the 19 or 20 on it. But August 6th, the year 70, the walls of Jerusalem were breached. And the Roman soldiers poured into the city and they burned the temple to the ground and they enslaved tens of thousands. Some historians put the number at hundreds of thousands of Jewish people. They captured and enslaved so many Jewish people that it drove the price of slave trade down, down, down to almost nothing all the way from Jerusalem to Rome because there was such a high amount of slaves to be had. And not only that, but the Jewish people were expelled from the city of Jerusalem. Even after everything cleared out, they couldn't be there. Now, the reason that this piece of history and this piece of timeline is important for our discussion today is this, is that that was a really scary, dangerous, tumultuous time for the Jewish people. I mean, it was dangerous to live in Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea. The people, the, the Jewish people, they were constantly under threat. Thousands of them were killed. But yet, there's not a single reference to this event anywhere in the New Testament. I mean, this was an event that spanned five, maybe four really intense years. I mean, this wasn't just a, oh, it happened one day and then it was done kind of thing. And there's no, there, there, there's no reference to it anywhere. And the only logical explanation that you can have from looking at this piece of history and then wondering why in a piece of writing about history that happened right before it, why there's no reference to it. The only logical conclusion is, is because when they wrote the story of Jesus, it hadn't happened yet. The temple was still standing. Which means all of the New Testament manuscripts and all of the writers, the ones written by Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Peter, they were probably all written before the destruction of the temple, which means they were probably written somewhere between 49 and 69 AD. And so now the reason, the reason that that's important about these documents and the reason it's important that they were written during a time in which the eyewitnesses to the accounts that it's talking about were still alive and they were still around. Now you'll hear, you'll hear other historians say, no, 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 no. The New Testament writings and the gospels, they weren't written until like 90, maybe 100 AD, but there's really no evidence for that. And the reason, the reason that some scholars want to push those writings later and later and later are because of the miracles and because of the resurrection. And then the reason they want to push it kind of goes like something like this because they want to be able to tell the story. Well, everybody, um, everybody really wanted to believe that this Jesus character was still alive. And some people said that maybe they had seen him. And then time went by and time went by and time went by. And through oral tradition, these things were kind of passed down and they were told to the next generation. And as they were told, the stories got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually somebody wrote them down. Because here's the thing. It takes about 70 to 80 years 
for legend to kind of turn into truth. That is once everybody that was kind of involved with the actual thing has died off and there can't be any actual um, verifications from eyewitnesses any longer. That's when stories tend to be taken more as truth when they can't be rebutted. And, and so the, the problem within all of this, the problem with all of this, and, and you, you, don't, you don't care about this, but this is important. The gospel writers, within their writing this story, and, and historians wanted to push it out so that they could kind of just chalk it up to legend, some of these, these stories of Jesus, and ah, it didn't really happen, it didn't really happen. The, the thing is, is that the gospel writers, when they're writing, they didn't write as if they were writing a story. They wrote as if they were writing history. They, they, they wrote as if, here, here's, here's one example. And I want you to notice the extent that Luke goes to in his writing. The extent that he goes to, to pin himself down to a specific historical context. Because he was writing a story. He was writing history. Here's how far he goes. Look at what Luke writes in chapter three. He writes, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysania, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas. And you look at that and you're like, so when did this happen? Right? Like, listen, 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 this is huge. You can't, you can't fly by this when you're looking at the scriptures. This is huge. This is Luke's way. And we're not, we're not talking about the Bible. We're talking about a guy who wrote a very specific document that had no idea that the Bible wasn't even a thing. He's just writing this document. This is his way of saying, as he writes this story, so that everyone who follows can have the story, it's his way of saying, fact check me. I dare you. Come on, here's exactly when it was. Here's exactly where it was. Here are the people who are still alive. Come, fact check me on this issue. And the way that he wrote this and pinned himself down to a very specific time period, it wasn't like he started a story and it was, well, some time ago or a long time ago or back in the days when the Roman empire ruled the earth, once upon a time back in the day, a galaxy far, far away. Like, it's not that. He went through great lengths to pin himself to a very specific time and place in history. And this is, he's saying this, this isn't a story. I'm telling history. It actually happened. Check my facts. Now, if you were trying to make up a story to convince people to start some kind of movement to follow you, there is no way that you would write like this because it's too risky. It's too easy to be found out, to be shown that you're lying or that you're exaggerating as you invite people to go to the place where it was and talk to the people who saw it. So here's what, here's what happens. These documents that all these guys write, and they had no idea they were gonna come together and be categorized into a library for us. But these documents they become so valuable in the first century church, so valuable that they begin to meticulously copy these manuscripts. 
And in the first century, there is an explosion of documents around the life of Jesus and copies of the letters of Paul and Peter and James. And there are so many documents that show up at that time that it is unmatched by any other thing in history from any other civilization, all the way up until the invention of the printing press. Just the sheer volume of these documents. And they spread from Jerusalem to Rome to Constantinople to Egypt, all around the Mediterranean Rim, basically all over the known world. These things spread. So when you hear someone just say, oh, well, the Bible, there's lots of errors and people were just right now making up stories or whatever, that, that's just somebody who's lazy and not looking at facts and not looking at what actually happened within the spread of this. And listen, the first century church did not make copies of the New Testament because, or those writings, because they thought that they were inspired. There's no way that that was it. They made copies of those manuscripts because they thought they were true. That's why they did it. So time marches on. The documents are spread all over the known world. Then in 312, Constantine becomes the undisputed emperor. It's the end of the Tetrarchy. He's got power all to himself of the Roman empire. Now between the resurrection and the time of Constantine, Christianity grew and it grew and it gained influence all around the world. And this was during the persecution years. This is when to be a Christian was to risk death. This was through the time when Nero was in Rome feeding Christians to the lions, yet it spread and it's unexplainable. And eventually, eventually Constantine embraced Christianity. Now, almost all historians will tell you, he did not embrace Christianity because he was interested in becoming a Christian. He embraced Christianity purely for political means. He needed to unify the empire. He needed everybody to come together. And if you can wrap your mind around the significance of this idea, this is absolutely staggering. Constantine sat down and said, I have to find something that most people in the empire have in common and it's not the Roman gods any longer. It's not the Roman gods. This was, this was, this was the significant spread of the message of Christ and of Christianity in the most difficult time and the most difficult environment for something like this to happen. Now, this is why I'm convinced, and this is just my opinion, that that period, that period is when Christianity made its greatest strides. Those 280 some years between the resurrection and Constantine, before, 280 years before, don't miss this, before the Bible existed. The Christian faith grew not on the back of the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. In fact, the Jewish scriptures, what we now know as the Old Testament, were not combined with the documents that were put together to call the New Testament until about 350 AD. Those things weren't even put together 
until that time. 350 years after the birth of Christ. And here's why they weren't put together. Because A, it was illegal a lot. And B, it was really expensive. And it wasn't until somebody came with the power and with the wealth and with the influence of Constantine to allow scholars to begin gathering these writings together and then put them together while arguing about which documents belonged in the New Testament. The oldest version of what we now know as the Bible, the oldest version is 350 years after Jesus. Because during that time, the documents were being written and the documents were being copied and the documents were being distributed. And then the documents had to be gathered. And the first time that the collection was together and labeled the Bible was 388 AD. Now, here's my point. I've thrown a lot of dates out. <laughs> said a lot of things. Here, here's my point. Before the Old Testament, and it wasn't called that at the time, and before the New Testament, which is a term that didn't even show up till about 220 AD, before those things were combined and labeled the Bible, Christianity had grown And it had grown to the point to where it replaced the pantheon of Roman gods and barbarian gods and most of the Egyptian gods. And it had become the state religion of the Roman empire all before the Bible. In fact, it wouldn't be until the invention of the printing press that anybody who was a common person outside of some very high religious people would ever actually be able to hold a Bible in their hands. But yet they still believed. And listen, the first and the second and the third century Christians believed that Jesus loved them, not because the Bible told them so. Nobody in that time period chose to follow Jesus because of an infallible Old Testament and a non-contradicting New Testament. I mean, imagine this scenario, if you will. Imagine there was somebody from our time who had the ability to time travel, right? And they time traveled back to when Peter was writing what would become his contributions to the New Testament. And they said to Peter, 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 you don't know me, I'm from the future. Peter, before you get all geeked up about this Jesus guy, did you know Did you know, Peter, that there is no archaeological evidence for a worldwide flood? Peter, did you know that? Peter, Peter, before you start spreading all this stuff about Jesus, before, did you know that the whole idea of the Hebrew uh, uh, people migrating from Egypt, that most historians are really skeptical about that, Peter, did you know that? Peter, did you know everything that we know in science points to the fact the earth has to be older than 6,000 years? or I guess 4,000 years for him, now that we're 2,000 down the line. Peter, it's gotta be older than that. Peter, 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 before you start telling everybody about Jesus, you have to get your facts straight. And you have to make sure everything's true within what you know as the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. Peter would look at him, <laughs> would look at that person and Peter would probably say, um, I'm sorry, and I'm not sure what you're talking about, but I saw my friend die And then a couple days later, some ladies came and told me that the tomb was empty. And my first thought was someone stole the body. And then after that, 
I had lunch with my dead friend. So I don't know all about all that other stuff you're talking about. I don't know if all that's verifiable and provable, and, but my faith does not hang by the thread of being able to verify every single thing that's in the Old Testament. And he would probably say to him, I'm a Jewish man who loves the Jewish scriptures, but I am not a follower of Jesus because of the scriptures. I'm a follower of Jesus because he rose from the dead. For the first 300 years of Christianity, it was based on an event, not on a book. The question wasn't, is the Bible true? The question was, did Jesus rise from the dead? And Mark said, absolutely he did. And Matthew said, yes, he did. And Luke said, yes, he did. And John said, yes, he did. And Peter said, yes, he did. And James, the brother of Jesus said, oh yeah, he did. And then this fire-breathing fanatic who wanted to make it his goal to smash and wipe out this whole um, heretical Jesus movement once and for all through threats, intimidation, and through murder, was converted and became a believer and dedicated his entire life to spreading the message of what Jesus did all over the Roman world. Now, here's the thing. There is no explanation for the success of the church, for the rise of Christianity. There is no explanation if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. There's none. The success of the church isn't built on the Bible tells me so. There was no Bible to tell them so. The success of the church and the first century church and the message spreading was built on the accounts of eyewitnesses of a risen Jesus. That was how it grew. And if you grew up in a, well, the Bible says it and that settles it church, I understand. I grew up in that too. But the bad thing about that is we have shifted our focus and our apologetics to defending the Bible. And what happens is, is in adulthood, you run into information that from your perspective makes the Bible indefensible. And your whole faith begins to crumble because that's what you've built it on. And maybe for some of you, you're glad to come across that information. And you're glad because you didn't really want to be a Christian anyway. And now, and now you have an intellectual reason to step away. You're not just bailing on your faith. But listen, that version of Christianity, that is a modern version. The original of version of Christianity, the original version was defensible. It was persecutable. It was fearless. It was compassionate. It was compelling. It was endurable. And now that you're an adult, part of that little song that you learned as a kid, part of that's true, the first part. It's very true. Jesus loves me. This I know. The second part, you got to kind of call into question. When you look at how and on what you're building, your faith. Because really, even though it doesn't rhyme as well, it should be Jesus loves me. This I know. Because Luke did a thorough investigation of all the eyewitnesses and told me so. (laughs) It's a little wordy for toddlers, you know, but... 
Jesus loves me, this I know, because early Christians risked their life to spread the gospel to the world. Oh, it doesn't rhyme. I don't. Jesus loves me, this I know, because those who saw a risen Jesus were willing to be martyred for spreading the news. Almost everybody who was responsible for getting the message of Jesus out of the first century was killed for it. You don't do that because some document told you a story that you bought into. There's a reason that you would sacrifice your life. Jesus loves you, this you know, because the early church defied the temple and the Roman empire because they were convinced that it was so. See, the reason that that you can reconsider your faith is it has nothing to do with the book and it has everything to do with a person. And so it's all centered around the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that question was answered by Jesus with an exclamation point with a resurrection from a tomb. And fortunately, those closest to the event documented it. So, if you've stepped away, or if you are in a time of doubting because the Bible doesn't quite line up, and there's questions that you have that nobody's been able to reconcile, I would ask you to reconsider because really when it comes down to it, it's not really about the Bible. It is And it always has been about Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it is so easy for us to put things in the wrong places of priority. And God, it is so easy for us to elevate the record of your interaction with man and the written record of the life of Christ. It is so easy for us to elevate that above you and Christ. God, forgive us for elevating that above you. And Lord, for those in this room who have found unanswerable questions in the Bible or inconsistencies in the Bible is a reason to step away from faith. Lord, I pray that perhaps they be able to step back and understand that that was just a record of things that happened. Christianity doesn't exist because of it. It exists because of Christianity. Lord, let us place you at the center Let you be what our faith is based on. Lord, I thank you for the extreme lengths that you went to reconcile relationship with us. And I thank you that we have record of it. Be with us as we go. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. And um, I pray that you join us next week as uh, you will again think that I do like the Bible.